got a job. My name is Bailey Weigel. I'm the Dean of Students for Manhattan Sports Business Academy. And MSBA is an eight-week summer immersion program for college students who are looking to break into the sports industry. Breaking into the sports industry, not the easiest job out there, not the easiest world to break into. I'm in love with MSBA for the fact that for a few thousand bucks in the summer, 25 out of maybe 500 students that apply get the opportunity to come live in Manhattan, work for a company that's in the sports or entertainment industry, get to meet 25 other students who kind of become their their community or their mm-hmm. fraternity or sorority for the summer. They get to go to speaking engagements with executives. They get to go behind the scenes at places like Madison Square Garden and Barclays Center. And it's a program that you actually were an intern at. And then ultimately, it became your full-time job. And so went to school, got an opportunity to be at MSBA. Mm -hmm. You got an internship while you were at MSBA. Mm -hmm. And then when that was over, you were looking for a job and you ended up working at MSBA to now the point where you're, you're the dean of students mm-hmm. at a program. So this is a super special conversation as the theme of this is always, you know, how people get a job. And we're actually talking to someone who's recruiting people to help them get placed in jobs, mm-hmm. very highly desirable jobs, uh, you know, throughout the summer. So, you know, before we start there, what was your first job you ever had in life? So my first job ever, and I don't even think this is still on my LinkedIn, but I was a cashier at a grocery store called Wegmans. Wegmans. Mm-hmm. And Wegmans, big national chain. You were a cashier. How old were you? I was probably 16, 15. 15, 16 years old. You lived in where? Upstate New York? Yeah, Buffalo, New York. In Buffalo, New York. 15 years old. So you didn't have a license. Nope. How'd you get to work every day? So actually it was, it must've been when I was 16 because I drove. You drove. I was close enough to walk though. So maybe I did that. In Buffalo, I hope you weren't walking too much. Not the, not the warmest state. How much did you get paid? Minimum wage. Minimum wage. And what made you decide to go uh, apply for a job at at Wegmans and, and, and go to work at that age? Yeah. So what what inspired me to go to work at that age was just getting some extra spending money in my pocket, becoming more autonomous from my parents. And then funny enough to follow up that statement, uh, I got the job through my mother, who is an employee with Wegmans, longtime employee with Wegmans. So mom gives you the recommendation yep. and uh, they trust a 16-year-old at the cash register. Mm-hmm. A lot of 16-year-olds work in the cash register? A lot of 16-year-olds. Okay. Buffalo is a different place, I guess. <laughs> and so 16 years old, you're working at Wegmans. Yep. What was it like being at the cash register? It was a pretty difficult job, actually. Is really the first customer service job that I ever had and affluent neighbor of Buffalo is a tough place to do that in. So it's, it really taught me a lot. And customer service, working with people, no credit cards as much. Actually, maybe you're a little younger than me. So probably a lot of credit cards yep. at that age. Yep. Working the machine, being responsible, you're counting money, you're working with people every day. Uh-huh. And how long did you have that job for? Had that job for probably about three years. I think I, I did it through my freshman year of college where I was coming back and working during breaks. And where did you go to school? I went to a school called SUNY Potsdam in upstate New York. And why did you choose to go to school there? So I was actually recruited there to play basketball. And that was initially how they got on my radar. And they actually, Potsdam was not 
my first choice, but uh, a lot of dominoes fell in place and that ended up being where I spent my career and I couldn't be more happy for it. It was an incredible experience. What position were you in basketball? I was a three guard. Sometimes three I guard. sometimes I played four because right. small division three, so stretch four? Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah, I think they call me the stretch mark four, right? You know, that's a, that's a whole, whole different life. And so you stopped working at Wegmans uh-huh. when you were in school. Did you have any jobs when you were in school besides being a full-time athlete? I did, yeah. So I worked at the fitness center during my time. I worked at the fitness center, I think, started in my sophomore year and did that all the way up until I graduated. And um, then my senior year, I also got an internship with the admissions office as a social media intern. Social media intern mm-hmm. at school. Was that paid? That was actually paid, yeah. Paid internship at school. And you're going into your senior year and you chose to apply for the MSBA program. Mm-hmm. Uh How did you hear about MSBA and what made you apply for it? I found out about MSBA through a Google search. I got to the summer going into my senior year of college. And as mentioned, I was an athlete and I kind of let that shape my college decision and and realized going into my senior year that I was maybe a little bit short-sighted in that and hadn't been really making the proper moves in, in order to get myself ready for life after basketball and life after Life after college. So you realize you're not going pro. Finally finally sets in. Like most people in our industry do. I I realized I wasn't going pro. Seems to be a theme of of, of this podcast for some reason. So you're not going pro. You use this amazing tool that people forget. We all have access to for free called Mm -hmm. Google. Yep. And what did you search? I think I typed the phrase how to break into the sports industry. And was an MSBA came up or an article on MSBA came up? Yeah, it's an article in Forbes that was written, I think, about five years ago. And was that the first thing that came up on Google? It was the very first link. All right. Well, you know, I always like to say people always click the first thing and kind of give up there. But in this case, it seems like you got very lucky. So mm-hmm. you clicked, you learned about MSBA, and you immediately applied for it? No, I actually didn't apply until later that fall. I read I read about MSBA in that article, and it seemed like a cool thing, kind of seemed a little bit like a pipe dream, seemed a little too good to be true. And at that point, I was looking more for like graduate school programs. And so I just kind of tucked it away in the back of my mind. And didn't end up revisiting it until fall of my senior year when applications opened. And I actually saw a post on Facebook about applications opening. And that was when I decided to do a little more research and throw my name in in the ring. So you had an opportunity. You're heading into the summer of your junior year to apply. You paused. You go into your senior year. Mm -hmm. And instead of going for a job fresh out of school, Mm -hmm. you applied for something that would really just give you an internship. Yep. You know, most people we speak to and most people learn they want a job out of school. Mm -hmm. What was your thought process like when you're saying, hey, this is an internship? Did you apply for other jobs and strike out? Was it something to do with sports that made you want to go there? What what really kind of led you down that path? It was a combination of both of those things. I had applied to a couple of other jobs at that point and gotten those back already. And Jobs in sports? And they weren't in sports. They weren't in sports. So my my thought process with sports was that if that was the route that I was going to take, I knew I was going to be coming out of college competing against people for these jobs who already had those internships. And, 
you know, had sports management degrees, which, you know, I thought at the time was really important. Now I, I have a little bit different opinion, but that was my thought process going into applying for MSBA was that this is my differentiator. You know, I'm going to be competing against people who have a lot more valuable and transferable experiences on their resume. And I need to do something to set myself apart. So almost a step back yeah, to take a step forward. But like we, like we always say, it's a long life. Mm-hmm. The 20s are about learning and growing and networking and, and the, the success and the money comes, you know, in the 30s or, you know, so for some people the 40s. But really using your 20s and your early 20s yeah. to kind of get that network. So you apply to MSBA, get accepted, and where did they place you for an internship? I was placed with the PGA Tour. So you moved to New York City. You're living in the MSBA dorms, I believe, on 91st Street? 97th and 3rd. 97th and 3rd. There's a new Costco on 116th Street. Probably not where you guys hung out, but it's, it's <laughs> where uh, where us married fathers go on the weekends now. <laughs> Most jobs for MSBA are, are in Manhattan, but PGA Tour, um, especially for the event you were working on, was mm-hmm. based in New Jersey. Is that correct? Correct. Edison, New Jersey. Edison, New Jersey. So train ride to Penn Station, a train ride from Penn Station to Edison, and uh, a car ride from the train station to the job. Not working in Manhattan yet, this is everything you wanted. What made you decide to go forward with that PJ internship? Golf fan growing up, did you have favorite golfers? What What was it about the, the, the job that you said, this is what I want to do? Yeah, I was not a golf fan. I grew up in a family that loves golf, but I was always kind of the black sheep in that sense. I never played it, never watched it. And really what it was for me was that foot in the door. I went into my internship, the internship search process of my MSBA experience, very open-minded. And I mean, like I said at the beginning of this whole thing, I knew I needed a differentiator. I knew I knew that I needed that first opportunity and I was willing and excited to do that wherever it was. PGA is a recognizable brand. Mm-hmm. And what was your role? Yeah, so my role was the tournament assistant. So at the time, this was the Barclays tournament. It's now rebranded to the Northern Trust. So you're working at an event mm-hmm. and you're the tournament assistant. And what was the main uh, task or role that you had as the tournament assistant? I was single-handedly responsible for the management of that tournament's volunteer program. And how many volunteers are part of that program? Each year they bring in about 1,800. 1,800 volunteers. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've met 1,800 people in my life. Did you have to coordinate all 1,800 of them? Yeah, so I was the only one on our staff who was in charge of overseeing that program. That said, there's a really great structure in place, so I think there was 26 different committees and I was doing a lot of coordination with the committee chairs who had been volunteering for a while, and they helped out a lot. But you have no experience. Yeah. You, you're, you were a cashier. You worked in the, in the fitness center at school. Mm-hmm. You were an intern in social media. Uh, what, you know, what about your background, whether it was through playing sports in school or you know, growing up in Buffalo, <laughs> gave you the confidence that you, this is a real job. This mm-hmm. isn't an this isn't filing papers and getting coffee and doing and doing photocopies. What gave you the the confidence that you had the skill set to even step up into this role? I think growing up an athlete was 
you know, really beneficial to developing a lot of those skills that I used in that job and that I continue to use in my professional life. What type of skills? Skills like discipline, leadership, organization, time management, the list goes on and on and on. What's the shot clock in college? 30 seconds. 30 seconds. Yeah. So definitely time management. Yeah. Uh, Discipline. Absolutely. What about communication? Communication is a big one. Were you a vocal leader in such a big organization when you're really just an intern, learning how to speak, learning when to speak, similar to being on court? Yeah. So as somebody who, like I said, I had ownership over this program. So while I had a direct supervisor, she had her own bucket of tasks that she was really delegating this one thing to me and I had full reign over it. So I had to come in and... um, and really master that communication and communicating with committee chairs and organizing meetings and leading meetings and, you know, all things that you wouldn't really expect to be doing as an intern, but there I was. So you're working at the, at the PGA, you're on a nine to five job with pretty much an hour, hour plus commute each way. So it's really a seven to seven job, Mm -hmm. uh, your 12 hour days. You're participating in the speaker sessions and after work events and workshops at the MSBA's giving you and the event ends and now you're September um, you don't have the luxury of going back to college for another year mm-hmm. and did the PGA offer you a full-time job they did not we were in discussions but never stuck around long enough to see that come to fruition and so how did you hook up with a full-time role with MSBA a lot of that I'll, I'll attribute to good timing MSBA we're a really really small team So throughout the summer, I, like most of the people who are involved with this program, developed a really strong passion for what this program is doing for its students. And, you know, I realized really quickly that I wanted to be able to contribute and give back in some capacity. That being said, because it is such a small team, I never even imagined that there would be a full-time opportunity for me coming out of the summer. Uh, But Lauren, our program director, he knew that I was looking for full-time. He knew I wanted to stay in New York. He was uh, helping me out a little bit at that point with my job search. And like I said, good timing. And one day he called me up and he said, I think I got an idea that you might be interested in. And it just so happened they were looking to bring somebody on. They thought my skill set satisfied what they were looking for. And the rest is history. And this was September, right, as your internship was wrapping up? Yeah, so actually got the offer, I think, mid-August, right before the tournament. Internship wrapped up first week of September, and I started with MSBA a couple weeks later. And so you'd gotten to know Lauren and I'm sure David and Ben and Mm -hmm. and the leadership team at MSBA throughout the program. What did you do during the program that actually got them to notice you? Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of people come in the program or any program, a company, an internship, And it's usually a me, 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 what can it do for me Mm -hmm. type of thing. But what did you do for them that got them to not only notice you, but even want to help you with the job search and then further offer you a job? Yeah. So at the risk of patting myself on the back. That's what this is about. (laughs) So go for it. I think one of the biggest things that they took notice of during my summer as a participant in the program was being that vocal leader and really representing MSBA well at all of our events. In what capacity would you do that? Being the first to ask questions at speaker events, 
rallying our class. So we, we had weekends free during the program. So a lot of the times I was one of the ones rallying the squad on the weekends to go and, you know, explore New York or go to brunch. And, you know, as pointless or useless as that sounds, I think that's a really, you know, community is one of the most important aspects of MSBA. So just being a good teammate. Being a good teammate. A lot of things you learned through your your years at sports. Yeah. So it's funny how you mentioned that, you know, you chose your college based on playing sports, Mm -hmm. yet you kind of give yourself not enough credit for the fact that you, you know, chose sports as a college focus and not maybe what you want to do in your career. Mm -hmm. Yet we're starting to hear a lot of examples about how you're succeeding in your career based on, you know, the things that, that you learned in sports. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that I love about MSBA is you get to uh, mentor people and get to know people. And mm-hmm. through my time at MSBA, I've mentored people who have ended up getting jobs at Cogent. Some of the interns from MSBA we've ended up hiring mm-hmm. here as well. There are some phenomenal team members. Have, how have you gone about, you know, continuing that, that process since you've graduated MSBA and, and stay active from, from a mentor-mentee side of things? Yeah, that's honestly one of my favorite aspects of the program and just being involved with it personally is the ability that I have to provide one-on-one mentorship with every single student that comes through the program. But that being said, it is a built-in piece of our academy. So I play a large role in facilitating those pairings. And so that's been really, really rewarding to be able to see those relationships pay off for and our who, students. who was your mentor when you were in MSBA? My mentor was Jamie Rocha. And where is Jamie, where was she working at the time? At the time, she was with a small boutique agency called Glide Slope. Mm-hmm. Big Olympic, small boutique, but big Doing Olympic, big work. Big Olympic work, absolutely. Doing big work. And actually now she, she parlayed that into her current role now with the International Olympic Committee in Switzerland. And you still in touch with her? I regret to say that I'm not. All right, so maybe you owe Jamie a, a quick reach out coming out of this podcast. So yeah. you had a wonderful mentor in Jamie, mm-hmm. and do you have a mentor today? I have a lot of mentors today. Any specific mentors that uh, you're more active with? I'm sitting across the table with one of them right now. And other, I mean, you know that. Other than that, I was fortunate enough to be involved with the Lead Dog Mentoring Challenge this past fall. And I was selected as one of their 2017 participants. So what that program is, is Lead Dog Marketing Group has paired up with Sports Business Daily, Sports Business Journal, and rallied around their Game Changers Conference, which is all geared towards women in sports. And they honor Game Changers at that conference every year who are high-level executive females in the industry. And um, so what they've done is they've paired each one of those individual Game Changers with a young, up-and-coming female. And I was lucky enough to be selected as one of those uh, participants this, this past fall. And they pair you with a mentor? They paired me with Don Aponte from oh. the NFL. Don's at the NFL. Yeah. And how structured is that mentor process? Do you guys have, do they set up weekly meetings mm-hmm. and, and, and phone calls with Don? No, no. They really put the onus on the participants to, to drive that bus and really put the onus on us to, to drive those relationships. There are, there are like bi-monthly meetups or there, 
they do organize periodical meetups for the entire group. But in terms of our one-on-one relationship, you know, it's really on us to, to keep that alive. And so, you know, speaking on the past mentor and mentorships you've had where maybe mm-hmm. you didn't keep them alive. Yeah. What have you done a little bit differently uh, moving forward to keep that mentorship and that mentor relationship going? I think my biggest downfall with uh, some of my past mentor relationships that have failed is that I was taking their time for granted and, you know, focusing a little bit too much on myself. And how have you looked to evolve that as you move forward? Yeah. So one of the biggest things that one of the biggest changes that I've made to my approach with my mentor relationships is how I'm really focusing on building the foundation of those relationships. And how do you build the foundation? Is it spending more time getting to know them or adding value mm-hmm. to what, what they're looking to do every day? Yeah. Adding value is a really important thing, but I think the biggest thing has really just been getting to know them as people at the end of the day. I think a lot of people overthink mentor relationships and, and really overthink the professionalism of them, which that's important. They are professional relationships, but at the end of the day, we're all human. We're all human beings. And if you don't have common ground or you don't have some, some sort of commonality with the person on the other side of that table, it's that relationship's really not going to have the, the nurturing that it needs to blossom. So common ground. Yeah. Awesome topic. Establishing common ground. You know, we talk about that as something to get to know people. I know I'm a cheater. I'm Googling <laughs> people. I'm LinkedIn-ing. I'm going on their social media. Yeah. I'm finding things their kids like, and I'm finding a natural way to bring that out. Yeah. What, what is one of the tactics you use to establish common ground or any examples that you've, you've um, you know, been able to achieve by establishing common ground? Yeah, so I'm a cheater myself. I uh, I utilize all of those same outlets just the way that you do. But Dawn was actually a tricky one. She's a pretty she's a pretty public figure. So there's a lot there's a lot of stuff out there. But she doesn't have a LinkedIn. You know, none of it is really personal, and none of it is really no going to tell me much. Instagram page with all her right. favorite restaurants. And, yeah, none, and foods. None of it's really going to tell me much about her prefer, or about her personal life. So really. What I did with her was I just sat down and I asked. You asked. I asked. You asked questions. I asked her about her family. I asked her about the things that she likes. I asked her about the things that she enjoys. And you'd be surprised what people will tell you when you simply ask those questions. And did any time throughout this relationship has some of that information been able to help you? Yeah. You mentioned providing value. And I think that's another thing that a lot of people really overthink in their mentor relationships. And it's something that's really hard to do from the mentee side of things because you inherently feel like you're in the inferior position. You're less experienced. You feel like you have less to offer. So that can be really difficult to do. But I I was fortunate enough to be able to seize an opportunity to do that with Don recently. And, you know, when you talk about Feeling inferior, absolutely. It's very hard to sit with someone mm-hmm. across the board who's been doing something so much longer than you and add value. I yeah. know young kids I meet, they're always trying to send me things on sneakers or try to find something about Allen Iverson or a Wu-Tang thing that they think yep. that you know I didn't know. Um, <laughs> or I, didn't. I like to say that I work harder than them and I'm more in touch with my own culture than they are. So <laughs> they can still learn a lot. You know, what... Where did that pay off for you or how did you kind of create those opportunities with Dom? 
in one of our early conversations, I found out that her son is on the coaching staff for Iowa football. And it just so happened that this was right around bowl season and they were playing their bowl at Yankee Stadium here in New York City. And I got the opportunity through a friend. Um, I got the offer for a couple of tickets to that game. And instead of taking up that offer myself, the first person who I thought of was Dawn. And um, again, she's with the NFL. She's a very prominent figure in football. She, she can get her own she tickets. Get, she, she, she could get her own tickets. But like you said, it's it's you know, it's the gesture and, and maybe did she, did she maybe, take the tickets? Yeah, and maybe she didn't use them, but maybe somebody else in her family did. So she did take she did take the tickets and from what I understand they all had a really great time. And how many NFL games has Don uh, have you asked Don for tickets to? Zero. How many games has she taken you to? Zero. So one nothing Bailey? One nothing Bailey on that front, I guess. Okay, but maybe a hundred to one on the other side for Don's front in terms yeah. of getting to, getting to be with you every day. In terms of guidance and insight and advice, she's definitely got me beat out there. Did she appreciate the tickets? She did. And if she said no, you still would have, you, you would have had a chance to go to the game, but it didn't really matter to you, right? And I'd say moving forward, are you paying attention to any time uh, I was coming to New York. Oh, absolutely. Very cool. Very cool. So you've gotten to know Don. You're kind of reworking how you approach your mentors. Mm -hmm. And now you're in the driver's seat. You're yeah. helping select 25 people every summer to be a part of this program, a uh, program that you've had the, the luxury of being a part of and you know really helping guide your career, meet amazing people. 500 plus applicants have the luxury of paying to be a part of this. So it's not something that's cheap. I know mm -hmm. that every now and then you do offer some financial assistance, but ultimately, you know, it's something that people have to sacrifice to do. Yeah. It's got to be a very easy sales pitch for you. And it's probably why you have so many people applying. But when you're narrowing down those 25, you know, what's the... What's the one thing someone can do to differentiate themselves? I'm sure a great resume and great internships mm -hmm. and even being a good communicator on the phone. Yeah. Uh, but I know some people get nervous and maybe you don't get it all out on the phone or maybe you don't have an internship in sports. Maybe you were just playing sports your whole career. Maybe you're graduating mm -hmm. and need to get a leg up. There's a lot of ways and a lot of things that people can do to find out you're on social media, who your favorite team is and Maybe they don't have a friend that can get tickets, but they can send you a cool article about something that they know you're interested in. But what's the one thing that stands out to you? You mentioned communication, and that really doesn't end after that initial conversation or after that, inter after that interview. What do you mean? Follow-ups. Follow-ups are the biggest thing, and that's the type of communication that's the most impressive to us. So give me an So what follow-ups is that? Thank you email, mm -hmm. check in email. What's the what's the what's the aspect of that you're looking for? All of the above. I mean at the at the very least a thank you email coming right out of the interview. And when you say coming right out of the interview, how early is too early to send that thank you email? There's differing opinions out there about this. Personally, if you're sending me a thank you, there's never it's never too early. So as soon as you hang up that phone, it's cool. As soon as you hang up the phone. And every minute that someone's waiting, they're possibly hesitating. Or you're getting another phone call with yep. another thank you email. And that, yep. and that position's going away. You know, I love that you say that there's differing opinions. I get a lot of questions from people that say, hey, how often is too often to follow up? Yep. And you're right. There's a specific cadence. But 
I'd rather lose the job for following up too much mm-hmm. than, than not get the job because someone else kind of beat me to it, right? It's almost like the Magic Johnson had to keep practicing because he knew Larry Bird was. So it's 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 very, very cool to hear you say that. Yeah, it's, um, it's an art. It, it really is an art. So, um, to, so to that art, out of the out of the 500 plus students that uh, you speak to every summer, what percent follow up, uh, you know, with a thank you email? Probably about five percent. Five percent. Yeah. So five. So that means there's ninety. That means there's something wrong with ninety-five percent of college <laughs> students. You know, to this point, and, and uh-huh. in an industry like sports, where your degree doesn't necessarily get you the job. You know, we like to say it's a lot of who you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not what you know, but who you know. Yep. That gets you through there. Have there ever been examples of students that didn't get in but have kept a, a relationship with you over the years? Yeah, so there are plenty of examples I can point to there, and actually two of them are currently mentors in our program. So they applied for the program, they mm-hmm. didn't get in, they stayed in touch, they now have moved on and they got their own job in sports and they become mentors in the program. Correct. So even though it doesn't work out, doesn't mean you have to be dejected, it means you can still figure out a way to get value, um, be a part of it, be a part of the community. And that's the one thing mm-hmm. I like to stress to all the young people is you're part of a fraternity or sorority that you're going to have 25 people you share something with for you know the rest of your time. Mm-hmm. I always like to stress to them for these eight weeks you're together, spend every waking minute getting to know them, figuring yep. out if they're a Lakers fan, following up with them during the school year because you never know what position they're going to be in to help you. So it's it's nice to hear that some people that weren't part of the program get, yeah. to, get to be – uh, a part of the program. And from from that side of things, um, you know, wh- what are you looking forward to this summer? This is the sixth class or seventh class? This will be our seventh summer. Seventh summer. So we'll have almost uh, 150, 175 people yep. that have now, you know, gone through this program. What are you looking forward to? I'm really just looking forward to getting our students here for the summer more than anything. Every single year we're working on our end to make little improvements to the program and, you know, just make that experience so much better than it was the year before. So there's a lot of things in terms of the programming elements that I'm really excited for. But I mean, the best part for me is getting to know these 25 students and, you know, we, we do a rolling admission. So there's some of them who we've been in contact with since early November at this point. So it's it's a long process to the summer, and it's a long road to the summer, and I'm just really excited to get them here. I know. I'm looking forward to networking with 25 new people who might make it in the sports yep. industry, and I look at it as they got through your test. If they're willing to spend the money and the time coming to New York, maybe being humble and taking a step back, it's 25 new people that I uh, I potentially could get to know and could potentially benefit me, mm-hmm. you know, very selfishly. I hope to help them. <laughs> but over time, I've seen this has paid off for me much more than it's paid off for them. And speaking of 25, you know, you're owed a congratulations on your rising 25 award of one of the top young professionals in the world of sports. So you're continuing to network. You're continuing to mm-hmm. put yourself out there. And I think, you know, one of the things that I hope, you pass on to these classes and I hope they learn from you is, is that it doesn't stop with MSBA. Right. It, it absolutely only continues through continuing to put yourself out there, continuing mm-hmm. to network and looking at kind of the, the, the path and the journey you went on. You were a student athlete who said, Hey, wait a minute, maybe I made the, some of, some of the, you know, left or right decisions on where I went to school yet. All of these tactics and things you learn playing sports have really led to 
where you are in your career. So it's never stop networking, never stop adding value. Ultimately, you know, being the first one to send a thank you email. Mm -hmm. All right, cool. Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you.